As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, the world needed a podcast. Instead, they got this. It's Sifpod. Welcome to Sifpod Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons, get those perks. Patrons, get those perks. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and each week we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. He'd never let the middle of my sentence interrupt the beginning of his. It's John Paula, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for having me back, doing my best Andrew Ormsby impression this morning. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, he's out with COVID, but I think a little, a little birdie told me he might be joining us briefly hmm, to share, hmm. share his thoughts on today's topic uh, I need to get in touch with this little birdie that you have. That's a really nice. His name feature. was Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it was Andrew himself. He just told me. Uh, yeah, to uh, Andrew. Up. Andrew has been uh, struck down uh, for this podcast, but there was no way he was going to miss some Black Adam thoughts. So he will pop in. Uh, a little bit later with uh, some thoughts on Black Adam, which we are going to review today, uh, as well as Ticket to Paradise, uh, which is not apparently a movie from the 90s, uh, although by the by everything, by about, everything it, about it, everything about it, you would think it was. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, too. Of course, we've got a best ever challenge and uh, some buried treasure uh, that we'll get to as well, because that's what we do here on Sif Pop. Uh, I will also let you know on the uh, the ongoing tale of the missing episode, uh, which is now a couple episodes old, where we lost some audio. You will be receiving that episode if you have not already in your podcast feed. I believe I saw it pop up. Uh, I put a little intro on there. I will say it again here. It took. It was. It was very difficult to release that episode. <laughs> John, have you we had appreci- this experience where it's like people probably want to, you know, hear this, but it's so like raw and bad, but I don't know. I just, I, I at the end of the day, I, I thought, am a, I'm a perfectionist and yeah, I have, I have sat on a lot of content I wasn't a hundred percent on, but I've also released plenty of trash over the years. I mean, I've been a <laughs> content you. creator for for 20 years now, and sometimes it's like, yeah, screw it. It's, it's it's good enough. The people who are gonna like it will like it, and everyone else will at least recognize. Especially if you hang a lampshade on it. Okay, I get it. They had problems. Mm-hmm. This isn't their normal mo. They don't lazily just put this crap out. They they do care about quality, and this was the exception. And if you make that note plain and simple at the front, 
I think people will forgive you. Yeah, and uh, and thank you in the chat already. Some saying they listened and they enjoyed it, uh, listening to it. I appreciate that. That does help me a little bit. It, plus, we, we talked about Triangle of Sadness in that podcast, which comes out this week, you know, more widely. And, uh, you know, I, I know the were... Palm d'Or winner, right? Correct. Correct. So I knew there were some people who had specifically asked for our opinions on that. And so, yeah. So anyhow, it is out there now in your podcast feed. If you missed it, it is still numbered as if it came out uh, when it was supposed to. Um, so it just kind of slots right in there. And uh, and yeah, take a listen. I've done to that it. trick before. I've released <laughs> things months late and then just put it in the playlist where it was supposed to go. So right. anybody that watches years later, like, oh, this is yeah, he reviewed James Bond the day it came out. Yes, you're right. I did. That's absolutely <laughs> correct. Yes. Everything's yeah. in order. Nothing ever mm-hmm. goes wrong here at Sif Bop. Uh, all right. With that in the past, let's get into our reviews. Let's talk a little bit about Black Adam. This loose cannon needs to be locked down before innocent people start getting hurt. He's been asleep for 5,000 years. Find us a cell that can hold him. We'll take care of the rest. Who's on the team? I didn't bring a passport. We don't need passports. We're the Justice Society. Nearly 5,000 years after he was bestowed with the almighty powers of the Egyptian gods and imprisoned just as quickly, Black Adam is freed from his earthly tomb, ready to unleash his unique form of justice on the modern world. The Rock has wanted to bring Black Adam to us for a long, long time, and now he finally has. Um, Let's get to it. John, we'll start with you. Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Yeah, it was just okay. All right, John with the just okay. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go high side of just okay. Um, oh, I uh, kind of thought you were going to hate this, if I'm being honest. <laughs> there are certainly things I hate about it, and we will get into that. But before we go any further, we're never going to keep him away from talking about a, uh, a DC property. Please welcome to the show. <laughs> Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with some thoughts. Uh, Andrew, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Shazam. <laughs> Dang it, it didn't cure me. <laughs> yeah, no. No, it did not. Yeah. I am going to go with uh, low side of liked it. Okay. All right. Uh, and it's funny because I think that a lot of the stuff that you guys wouldn't pick up on as like not being familiar with the character or characters is what... Uh, irked me the most yeah yeah no i i definitely felt that it is you know certainly one of my largest negatives is it just suffers from so much of what the dc uh eu seems to always do which is just throw characters on the screen and not really give us a lot of time to you know get to know them or understand them or anything like that um, but yeah, I'm curious, like, did you want to kind of talk around some of the specific things or that you, uh, th- um, that you didn't like? Well, well, just, I'll, I'll just throw this one out because it's my biggest negative of the movie as a comic book fan. So just that, I'll just give you that preface. It may not come across this way as somebody who doesn't know. And they may be like, oh no, I really like this character. Dr. Fate is nerfed in this movie more than I've ever seen any superhero get nerfed 
before. And when you say it's, nerfed, you mean like powers diminished, like yeah. brought down to size, that kind of thing. Exactly. Which I kind of understand because with a movie called Black Adam, you have to have him be the hammer. You know, he mm -hmm. has to be the most powerful one. But if that's your goal, I don't understand the logic of taking a character who could ragdoll Black Adam and Superman at the same time and have him kind of, you know, be... Window he's dressing? More of like, a, like a what? Window dressing. He's just kind yeah, of... He's, I mean, he helps a little bit, but... Yeah. Like, he is literally a god. So, whenever... Like, some people are like, well, yeah, Black Adam has the powers of a god. Well, he is a god. Um, so, it's, it's interesting, and I don't think that they did a good job with any of these characters besides Black Adam of really going into the background of what makes them interesting. Mm -mm. Um, like, they kind of do it with Cyclone and uh, Adam Smasher in a grand total of 30 seconds. It gives you... It was, it was literally their, a 30 uh, second where they're like, by the yeah. way, I had this really troublesome and traumatic past, and that's why yeah. I have these powers. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> End of scene. <laughs> Did you guys know Hawkman was an alien? No. No. How could I have? How, yeah. The movie didn't tell me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not doing exactly. homework. I'm not. I'm not reading. You know, a hundred issues of comics before I go to the cinema. I got no time for that. Yeah, those are. I think that would what I consider wrapping up. Like as a comic book fan, the things that really irked me. Yeah, um, I I really agree, and it, w it was going to be one of my negative focal points. And we will get to some good stuff about this movie. I promise. But um, yeah. we're just going to rake it for five minutes. First. Well, no, no, no. no. I, just, I really, <laughs> I really feel like it's unfortunate. That the DC seems so set on just throwing spaghetti against the wall. Like it's just instead of really taking the time to. I mean, you think of that's the that's the real symptom, right? The DCEU for uh, the, it's been around for what nine years now. Mm -hmm. Man of Steel came out in 2013, and that has been plenty of time to do this correctly. But they're mm -hmm. so impatient. They mm -hmm. want their cake, they want to eat it too, and they want it right now. And it's like, guys, just slow down. Put out two solo movies before you jam this team up down our throats when none of you, none of these other characters have been established yet. Like, Black Adam would have worked great if this was like the second time we had seen some of these, any of these characters. It's but it's just first outing, here's five new people. Care about all of them. It's it's unfortunate because we were playing a little game when we came out, and I just said, I would I would like you to name... The Marvel example of shortcutting. Like, where did Marvel mm. take a superhero and really just throw them on screen and ex and expect us to, you know? And I, when I say Marvel, I mean the MCU. I don't. I don't necessarily mean pre MCU Marvel. And I think the closest you got was in Humans. <sighs> yeah, but I never saw that. I mean, Eternals. Eternals. Sorry. Correct. That and that that is that is the answer, right? The answer is Eternals is kind of the closest the MCU has ever come to doing this. And because of that, that really made me nervous about X-Men. I'm really afraid they're going to do this kind of thing with X-Men where they throw a bunch of people at the screen and just expect us to like them all instead of making a Gambit movie and then a Storm movie and then, a, mm. you know, and then do the, you know, the team up kind of thing. Because I think so I think at. that I agree. And I would love to see some individual solo films that kind of build it up or at least like a, a, a Disney Plus show that has 12 episodes. Each episode is a different introduction or whatever. I think at the the big distinction is that with the X Men at least we have seen them before in other movies and other sure. properties. Hawkman has never been in a feature film before, as far as I know. 
Uh, certainly not one popular enough to have grabbed our attention. So I think that's the big difference is, yeah, if they throw Wolverine at us again and it's not Hugh Jackman, it's like, oh, great, at least I know kind of who this guy's about because I've seen eight other movies with him in it. Hawkman and Cyclone and Atom Smasher, we got like a brief, brief, there was like a, a rogues gallery from um, Viola Davis's character saying like, I'm giving you these people. And it's like, this guy does this. And it was, it was, it felt like a montage setting well, up. It felt like a Suicide Squad movie. I, I, I was just about yeah, to say that. I genuinely thought, oh, they're sending a Suicide Squad for these. But I don't know who the, I, listen, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not a comics <laughs> person. I don't know who Justice Society is. That, that means nothing to me. I literally thought that she was putting together a Suicide Squad to go after Black Again. Adam. I literally <laughs> thought one. that's what happened, what was happening, until it became kind of clear that movie. these were kind of good guys. And then I was like, oh, okay, now I'm just confused. And then somebody mentioned Justice, Justice Society. And I was like, oh, I guess this is a thing that's not From the, the way Justice they built League. it up in the first act, I definitely suspected that Justice Society was going to be this first act foil for Black Adam. And then they would be dispatched and we'd move on with the story. And maybe this is light spoiler territory, but they stick around for the whole show. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it's as much the Justice Society movie as it is a Black Adam movie. They have, I think, as much screen time, if not more, than Dwayne Johnson does. And I was really surprised that, like, oh, wow, this is, this is kind of a two-hander here. We have two different protagonist groups. And Three. The movie, if you think of the yeah, humans. Yeah. And it's like – and I was really surprised at, like, how much of the focus was on them and what they're doing. And I really thought it was going to be, like, they'll come in, we'll have one action scene together – and then we'll move on to the next location, the next whatever. And the movie never really gets into second gear. It kind of stays in that setup sec section of the movie for, yeah, two hours and five minutes, which was all right. All right, let's do some more yeah. general thoughts. Uh, and, of course, let's throw some positives in there. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you. What are some of your more general thoughts, positive thoughts uh, about Black Adam? I think that Dwayne Johnson nailed this character. I thought that he was phenomenal. You can tell by his performance that all these so many years he's been trying to get this movie made and that it's finally getting, you know, done. You could tell that he wasn't going to, you know, skimp on anything that came to him. You know, it's mm -hmm. he's any he, I think this may sound weird. Tell me, guys, what you would think of this hypothetical, you know, historical <laughs> reimagining. What if the DCEU started with this movie? Cut out the Justice Society of America and have it only be Black Adam and then the big bad. I think you can go one step further with the same idea, which is Shazam is the first movie in the, the DCEU. Um mm. Because I think that lays some of the groundwork for this movie in the correct Shazam, way. Shazam is, I think a, is a well-done movie I, it, that, that brings it, us Not only is it a well-done movie, it remains one of the only, I think, complete movies. Every it's other great. DCE movie, I, it feels this incessant need to like inform and set up other movies. I mean, Marvel's really bad at that, too. But Shazam is like, you could take it apart from everything else and it works on its own. And so few DCE movies have that quality where you can just watch it standalone. I think Man of Steel does because it was the first. But everything else, you kind of need a lot of like foreknowledge and you need to have seen all these other properties to kind of appreciate some of the stuff. And Black Adam, it kind of felt like if you went in cold, you're like, wait, did I miss a movie? Is there a Justice Society movie before this? Uh, no, there right. wasn't, but it, it kind of feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I think the Shazam verse uh, would have been an interesting place to start the DCEU. It would have been more similar to Marvel in that it's taking a character that 
you know, isn't like most people's favorite. The difference, the, the difference is in where DC could have taken advantage, I think, if, and I think they tried, they have their big gun properties. Marvel didn't when they started this thing. Like DC has Superman and Batman. They can do whatever they want with Superman and Batman. Uh, Marvel didn't have Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four. They just right. didn't Ima- have it. Imagine, imagine if the DC starts with Shazam, and then the post credit scene is Superman sitting down at that lunch table, and it's like, oh, shoot, we're finally going to see Superman. Like, but we already did, and it's just mm-hmm. a, a dumb cameo without Henry Cavill's face. Instead, it could have been setting up you know, movie number two. It could have been so much more powerful if they did it in reverse order. I think you could take the existing DCEU movies, and I think you could rewrite history in an interesting way. I think you could still start with Man of Steel. I think you could slot Shazam in next, interestingly enough. I think uh, the first Wonder Woman movie would work fine. The Aquaman mm-hmm. movie would work fine. But you do all those movies before you start doing the team-up, you know, as opposed yeah. to the team-up being the second movie in the DCEU, you know? Yeah. Um, it's insane to me. That the there, there is an second. alternate <laughs> order of these movies that I think really results in um, – you know some some bigger things, but we're 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 getting again aside we're, from this. We're supposed movie, to be talking positives. Uh, so Black Dwayne Adam. Johnson, uh, great uh, for the character. It's interesting you said he was great because I don't know the character profile what he's supposed to be. To me, it was you had Dwayne Johnson's electric charisma that we know and love, and you just doused it with like cold water. And there was parts of it that I really dug. And there was certainly a relationship he has with this human kid that felt very John Connor meets the Terminator. Mm. Um, oh, it's very T two. This is very T two. And I and I appreciated that because T two is a brilliant film. And if you're going to crib off anything, like Jim Cameron is not a bad person to no, cheat off all. of. Not at all. Um, and I really <laughs> loved that. And I felt there was some great moments of him with that sort of uh, Drax style, like really um, dry wit mm-hmm. uh, kind of humor. That worked really well, and I think he nails some of those more, uh, like, really somber uh, emotional beats where it's just he, – it, he doesn't really have a lot, but you can tell there's some emotion bubbling under the surface. I think he nailed all that stuff. And obviously, he's great at all the physicality. Um, so I, like, he, he's great. And Piers Brosnan, I think, um, would have to be admitted to a hospital – um, for back pain after carrying a majority of this movie because <laughs> he is so good in this. Piers Brosnan has th- that it factor that you can't teach, you can't coach it, and he is so fun in his limited screen time. And whether or not his actual character powers were nerfed, I think as an actor, his performance is just, it was fun. And I'm like, I want more Pierce Brosnan telling me anything about whatever he's talking about. I think his he's magic the best. gold he, helmet. I love it. He's the best part of the movie for me. And oh, easy. It, it's it, I I get how frustrating it can be if that's not the character in the comics. Totally get it. The character I was shown was one of the only fully realized uh, characters, and he didn't necessarily need backstory to make it happen. He needed good acting, a little bit, uh, a few key moments to show kind of where his mind was. Um, and then that little and a stupidly handsome kind of, face. <laughs> yeah, yes. and yeah, and he just he just so looks so good doing it, and he has he, there's something that like aplomb that he just he can have that uh, sort of flair to the, his delivery. And well, his, his character appearance. has this ability not only you know seeing the future and seeing the past. So I think out of everybody in this movie, really, Fate or Kent Nelson is his name is the only person that could kind of relate to Black Adam. 
Like, I think that out of everybody, he was the one who could be like, I, I understand this is the world you came from, and I've seen it in my mind. Now let me tell you about the world we have he, right he, now. He brings up another difficulty for DC, which I which I wanted to talk about, which is I could not shake Doctor Strange from my brain watching this. And sure. that's not DC's fault that they're because second. The, because the literary character does predate Strange. And this yes. is the thing. This is what I was going to say. These two companies for a long time copied each other. You know, oh, you've got this oh guy. God. We've got this guy. You've got this guy. We've got you this guy. Say. The problem for DC right now in the cinematic universe is, is <laughs> Marvels are all coming out first. So everybody guy, who this watches guy, this, guy. this <laughs> is just going, oh, that's discount Ant-Man. Oh, that's discount Doctor Strange. Oh, that's discount Storm. Like it's it's just it's so hard for DC to not feel like they're just copying. Even the like the whole aspect of, you know, seeing the one way that it'll all work is Infinity War. Like it's it's the plot of Infinity mm. War. So it's just it's it's so difficult for them. I kind of feel bad for them in that respect. Because there's not a lot they I mean, can do about it. They're still worth billions of dollars. I don't feel okay. Bad. I don't feel yeah. bad for them. You're correct. I don't feel bad for them anymore. As a comic book fan, let me just throw out a possibility and how I think they should have handled that character. Because in the beginning, I think they should have. This justice society that we see in this movie is already a set in stone. They've been here a while type of organization. They've they've been here. It's not a a group of rookies that don't. Well, I guess maybe it is kind of a group. Of Does rookies. the Justice Society predate the Justice League? Is that the idea? Yes, by like 23, 24 years. Okay. Yeah. Because this is like, um, I don't know if you know this or not, Green Lantern didn't used to be Hal Jordan. He used to have like a cape and a yellow suit. And uh, the, the Flash used to have like this metal helmet with wings on it and stuff. That was all the Justice Society of America. And it's... I think the way they should have handled Dr. Fate is it would have made uh, the character a lot more distinct from Stephen Strange by the fact that the helmet is the hero, not Kent Nelson. And you are literally possessed whenever you there was a the throwaway. There was a throwaway line about that, and I was like, oh, that's really fascinating. And then they yeah. never revisited it. And that's why they he's never did my... anything meaningful with that possessed helmet concept and i was like oh that's that actually is the differentiator between strange and kent and they didn't really do anything with it it was just okay he has powers with the helmet on and he doesn't when it's off i guess that's all i need to know yeah kent nelson was an archaeologist and he found the helmet in egypt and uh and ever since then every it like it has to find a good host it's a very parasitic um you know type of hero but it adds so much distinction that I think that that was a missed opportunity to really separate Strange from Fate. As usual, talking with you about DC movies after the movie is like, oh, wow, this they left a lot on the table. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, uh, okay. Well, oh, I'm sorry, Aaron, go ahead. No, no, no I was just going to start my general thoughts, but go ahead. Well, I think that this movie really left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth about the Justice Justice Society. Not only because they fully Team America all of Kondok, you know, they, they're they slapstickish. Mm-hmm. And I can't take them serious. Like, if you want me to take Black Adam as a threat serious, don't send the Marx Brothers, you know? Yeah, right. Like, if you're not taking this threat seriously, why should I? 
Yeah, uh, the um, w- whatever. <clears throat> I, I'm sorry, uh, Ant Man and Storm. Um, they they were a big bowl of nothing in this. I think, <laughs> like, I I think we're supposed to think that you know, um, is it Adam Smasher? I want. I don't yes, want to yeah. keep calling him Ant Man. Yeah, the the Adam Adam Smasher is supposed to be some sort of comic relief, but his comic relief only hits twenty percent of the time. Maybe um, and it never pays off. And it like never the thing with well, him and Hawkman, like off. me and you, that that never gets you know where he keeps saying me and you we're back on the ship. You know mm-hmm. that never gets paid off nope. or anything. It's no. Yeah, that was that was actually a funny moment. They had it a couple times, but then there is no. There's no punchline to that joke. They never right. actually have a conversation. And he's and he's always mm. eating, and I guess that's supposed to be funny. And like, well, I, they, there was a line about he needs carbs to. Well, grow. sure, sure, yeah. But which they, is yeah, it was, yeah, okay. Which yeah, whatever. <laughs> that's um, it. So so yeah, my general thoughts kind of come down to the word clunky. I just think this movie is really clunky. Um, as far as positives goes, though, it's also kind of fun. There are moments where I was really having fun. Part of that is the the you know the rockness of it all. Part of that is some of the humor does work. Um, it's not without laugh moments, but it is fun and clunky. That's right, folks. It is a funky movie. Um, <laughs> so uh, that is that is this movie to a T for me, is that it, you know, it is clunky but occasionally fun. So, I, I will say, for, for me, the, the key differentiator uh, between this and, and every previous outing we've seen uh, in the superhero genre is that Black Adam actually kills people, right? Like, that's, that's sort of his big... Uh, differentiator is that he isn't afraid to ruthlessly He's and a indiscriminately, yeah, <laughs> yeah, indiscriminately murders convoys of bad guys. And some of those sequences are legitimately fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And just like, yes. oh, he's just going to lay waste to everybody. And it's like, yeah, what would Superman be like if he just didn't care about punching straight through some guy's head? Like, all right, cool, that's fun to watch for about twenty minutes or so. And then it's like, what else do you have? What else can you do? And I don't know that the movie really ever uh, answers that question. Because I, I don't think there's a single moment of this entire picture that we haven't seen before in other better properties. And I feel like if Black Adam had been released in 2007 or 2008 when it apparently originally entered production, this has been in development hell for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. If it actually came out around the time Iron Man did, I think it would have been a winner. I think this would have been a really big hit for DC. I think everyone really would have enjoyed it. But 15 years and 50 comic book movies later, uh, it's about as exciting as going out to the store for milk. Like, it's just not, it's very, it feels so very routine. And it's well, just like, I, I want to like it. I think you're it, selling but... it a little bit short uh, with Maybe. the routine. Because I do think that, especially the routine. action, especially the action is entertaining. I think that it is, it's not high caliber. It's not yeah. Infinity War. It's not in game or anything like that. But I was never bored I no it's think. never boring it's just like oh yeah this is fun i've done this before this is fun too. yeah i've seen it's that. familiarity is- but the yeah. the problem is with the distinctiveness that you mention of the the quote-unquote good guy that murders people yeah is that this is also the suicide squad and because the suicide squad is doing it in an r-rated way like, uh, we've seen what happens when superheroes don't care about killing people. We get this. We've had a, we've had the whole series of The Peacemaker that does the exact same thing, you know? So it's not, like, unknown. There's a moment where Black Adam puts a grenade in some guy's mouth. And yep. I just thought, 
well, that's an interesting thing to include in a PG-13 movie, by the way, uh, because, you know, it's not always what we see on the screen. It's also <laughs> what our brains do uh, when we think of things. In fact, uh, the person next to me just let out an audible gasp uh, when when he did that. Oh. And I just and I just thought, well, this is the PG-13 version of what the Suicide Squad does, which is just like, oh, my goodness, superheroes would destroy us and rip our bodies apart. Um, yeah. so, it's like the boys or uh, sure. what was that uh, in, is Invincible is the anime yes. show or animated show yeah yes you're proving my point we, we've seen and perhaps, this perhaps, perhaps I didn't connect my points clearly enough because what I was getting at is this was all really fun and had it come out 15 years ago before Peacemaker before Society, right. uh, Suicide Squad it would have been like wow this this is the answer to Iron Man like the Got polar yes. opposite yeah. that would have been thrilling and new and exciting and now it's like oh no we, we kind of have seen this And the other part of that distinction is, for me personally, which is often how I speak uh, in these reviews, it's not exactly a message I'm like thrilled about. The idea that you you need to be dark sometimes to fight darkness, Um, you know, that is one of those things that I don't resonate with. So this movie isn't doing anything message-wise, thematically, that feels of any depth or meaning to me. And they do explicitly mentioned that part about like sometimes you have to fight evil with evil whatever but do they ever sort of um finish that thesis statement of like why you have to do it that way i don't think they do no they don't and uh, all they do is set (laughs) up trust me (laughs) it was just yeah it was like trust me i need to kill them like do you though like there was never an example like a sophie's choice or some moment where they had to absolutely (laughs) murder someone to save they there was never a clear-cut you know, answer to that question, like, why do you have to murder everyone? Mm-hmm. Never in a never in five thousand years, the age of conduct, did I think that one of the movies that you would use to help, you know, uh, <laughs> prove your point with Black Adam is Sophie's, Sophie's choice. choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, kind of. We kind of have a little moment like that where he's hanging two guys in the air, and one of them gets to live, one doesn't. It's. Yeah. I mean, and kinda. also, we have seen this. <laughs> theme handled in superhero movies before in the Nolan Batman uh, trilogy. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a central through line to Batman's entire Ooh. ethos, right? Yeah. That reminds me. Uh, this isn't really spoilerish, but it is like a specific scene from the movie. Um, when he's in that young kid's bedroom and like things are getting destroyed all around him and stuff, like you first see like a, the, the poster of Aquaman get burnt and then you mm-hmm. see, you know, the statue of Superman get smashed and then Wonder Woman... Then it gets to the Batman trophy that gets destroyed. I am. It was only on screen for a split second, but I'm 99% sure it was the Robert Pattinson Batman. Really? That yeah. is a good Easter egg. I, d- I did enjoy that scene. It felt like they were playing a little fast and loose with their IP, like bang, bang, smash, smash. Remember all this? This is fun. <laughs> we might do a movie with these guys later. Stay tuned. <laughs> it, was, it was like, you know, a very heavy wink. Like, hey, remember these guys? It's yeah. the same universe. They could show up any moment. Just wait. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> one thing we haven't talked about that I would like to at least bring up is the plotting and the story work uh, in this movie. Um, it does do some, I think, decently constructed story work. I don't, I, I still think it's clunky. Like I don't think the story is told perfectly. But as far as the actual points of the structure, there are some interesting reveals. There are some interesting story turns. That stuff yeah. could have worked for me in a in a tighter, more focused uh, environment. You know, maybe without three sets of protagonists and without trying to learn all these characters 
in in more focused in. But I thought that was worth mentioning as kind of a uh, a little bit of a positive. Uh, the story work is is pretty decent in this movie, I think. Yeah, it sounds like we all enjoyed it for what it was, but it it is kind of junk food. It was it was not yeah, which I can't not, taste anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Uh, any final thoughts, uh, Andrew? We'll I start th- with you. I think there was a mid-credit scene. I can't yes. remember. Uh, yes. There I certainly think we was. Saw, I think I saw something after the credit. I can't remember. Yes. yes, there is a mid-credit scene. Uh, there is no like post-credit scene. It's the only thing you have to stick around for, and you should stick around for. If we, you haven't been spoiled already by everybody on the internet. Or, or your own very easily imagined idea <laughs> of what it is. Yeah. Um, that was... One of the most annoying and frustrating post or mid credit scenes in in really? my experience ever. I just Ooh. I'm I'm so Over I'm it. so befuddled without spoiling anything by DC's. We're gonna I'm gonna go ahead and use the word plan uh, for what they're doing with their properties. Uh, that it just it's annoying to me at this point. So that's all. Well, they're going through like uh, director of you know what what would you call it director of operations. Uh, like whatever Kevin Feige is, whatever I his call title it, is. I call it Shepard. I call it Shepherd. Uh, Cinematic Shepard. But... That's actually a really good title. I, I like that. But... but you really need a guy that just does that. When someone that outlines 10, yeah. 15 years at a time. And DCEU is just coming up with this on the fly with mm-hmm. $250 million properties. Just Let's just try it. Like you have, you're talking about billions of dollars here. And, and mm-hmm. some of the most... Uh, um, lucrative and long-running IPs in media, and you're just so cavalier with how you're doing it that it, it right. they keep getting punched in the face and they haven't learned their lesson yet. Yep. Well, they've gone through like three shepherds yeah. since like the DCEU started, and that that abil- that inability to have a clear road ahead of you is it's it's staggering that they constantly think they can right the ship at this point mm-hmm. like well and it's really frustrating for fans because they're now talking about doing like this soft sort of re-scrubbing and reboot where they reset some of the canon but they keep some of the same actors and it's like well that's just so yeah is, that is, is henry so Cavill confusing for an audience yeah, right. that's so, not invested in that way like right so ben affleck might come back but he's not going to be the same batman as the one we like what that doesn't what are you doing? And then it's like Henry Cavill might come back, but he's also not the same version because the Snyder League is not part of the canon anymore, and we're we're scrubbing this from it, but not this. And there are some I would say, maybe not a majority, but a huge chunk of the movie going population goes to a movie like Black Adam. It's like, oh yeah, I'm excited for the new Marvel movie. Like they don't know any different. <laughs> you're not wrong. For them, it's just you're it's not like wrong. all 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 cape movies are the same to them, and but, now you're yeah. telling them like selectively, like that's so confusing. No, and they right. they need some they need a shepherd they need someone with you know some direction cl- further out than twelve months at a time. Invincible is one of my favorite Marvel TV shows. Love that show. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's one, of my, it's one of my favorite Marvels ever. Uh, I did hear somebody at one point say all movies thirty years from now are just going to be called Marvels, like we call Kleenexes Kleenexes. <laughs> I um, you go into a Marvel this weekend. That, I dread that day. <laughs> I dread it. There is there is a timeline where that happens though, yeah. yeah. Where the entire maybe, maybe not movies at large, but like the genre of the comic superhero book genre are, at least yeah. is just oh yeah. Have you seen the new Marvel? Yeah, 
It's like, oh my gosh, no. DC's got a new Marvel out this weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could see it. I could see that happening. Of course. Of course. Because that's how language works. Of course you can. Uh, John, did you have anything else that uh, you wanted to mention about this one? Um, final thoughts, summing up in five words, typical cookie cutter cape crap. Yeah. It is just, I mean, if you enjoy it, it's it's fun. It's like going to McDonald's. You know what to expect. It's not going to be good for you. you got to hate yourself afterwards. But uh, it's good when you eat it. <laughs> and I think Black Adam for two hours, It's I had fun. It's an enjoyable movie in what spite of every uh, two hours and four, two hours and five, something like that. It's not bad. Yeah. Runtime's not bad. I, I didn't have any strong pacing issues with it. I thought it, it moved along pretty well. There's good action space throughout. The effects look, I think, above average. Um I was uh, kind of surprised that everything takes place in like three locations, though. I really kept expecting them. Oh to, like, yeah, branch. I thought the climax would go somewhere, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, they're they're still in the same like three apartment buildings. Okay, yeah. But uh, yeah. besides that, and everything else we mentioned, it. I we've been trashing on it for a half an hour, but I think I might recommend it. It it was kind of fun. We've said some good things. We've certainly said it's yeah. fun. Um, and that that's where I would end as well. I think you will enjoy it. I, there will be times when you will laugh out loud. There are some laugh out loud funny moments in this movie. Like I said, it's hit or miss, flip a coin, but when it hits, it's fun. And it hits enough that you never feel, you never get like three or four eye rolls in a row. There's a laugh in between the eye rolls. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, so it there needs ends to be up an emoji okay. for that. <laughs> Thank you. You didn't, you I roll to laugh them. ratio is yeah. barely acceptable in Aaron's book. <laughs> there right. needs there needs to be an emoji for like reluctant laughter. Like I'm laughing, but uh, I'm not proud of you. I'm on to you. <laughs> I'm on to you. What you're doing here? Andrew, there you what go. About you? That is uh, that is Black Adam. It is uh, in theaters now, and uh, I think we'd all encourage you to check it out. So yeah. So yeah, uh, Andrew. Anything else before you go? Before we head on to the next movie and leave you behind. Well, do you mind if, since I'm not going to be here, if I just go ahead and give you guys my buried treasure? Yeah, sure. Week? Go ahead. So, Please, thank you. Yeah. Um, this out of how Aaron, how long have we been doing the show? Eight, nine years together, you and me. With the, with the two of us, I believe it's yeah. been almost nine years. Yeah. Good golly. I think this buried treasure, out of any other I've ever done best suits the category of buried treasure not literally like it's an actual little buried treasure but i think mm-hmm. that you know um hobby of geocaching exactly <laughs> uh, which i have done before not. oh really yeah I that was fun yeah it is uh well, it it's a like song it's... believe it or Ooh, not okay it's a new song from new kids on the block oh. called bring back the time oh, and Listen to this. It's a song by New Kids on the Block featuring Salt and Peppa, okay. Rick Astley, okay. no. and In Vogue. No. Are you sure it's not 1994? <laughs> well, the next well, movie uh, we're reviewing would uh, indicate it might be. <laughs> it is such an amazing song, like no hyperbole, probably one of the best songs I've heard in the last three or four years. Wow. And the music video is so perfect. Like, if you're a nostalgia geek, this is for you because tr- the entire music video is them recreating other music videos from the time. So, like, there's a scene where, like, uh, the new kids on the block are, like, in a kid's bedroom and they're doing the twisted sister, we're not going to take it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's another scene where 
like they're doing the Devo with the with the plastic things on their head. It's in my watch and later. You got me. I'm sold. I'm serious. <laughs> like I and the the thing is, nobody's listening to it. It barely has like four million views, and it's been out like for I think almost a year. And yeah. like this is the number one song of the year. I don't get how nobody is listening to this. Only so on YouTube will... <laughs> would you say four million people is nobody. But yes, I get what you're saying. Well, when I, whenever I go to YouTube, the number one thing that pops up is like a new song from well, a modern artist, and they I'm already sh- have I'm like sure, thirty-two um, million yeah, views. Yeah, I'll look at it right now. But I, I bet you uh, Taylor Swift's new album, a new music video, sixteen million views in a day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's my point. Like, yeah. And I and I don't know if it's the fact that you know, like, it's an older group, so a lot of people who normally listen to like New Kids on the Block or something like that. YouTube really isn't their repertoire. They just listen to the radio nowadays. Mm-hmm. But I think it's such a great song because it's about going back in time and just how great everything was in like in the 80s and the maybe maybe early 90s because I think most of the songs that they're parodying, parodying uh, for the music videos are like around the year 1989. So, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go pass out and. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for, for those just out. joining us. Yeah. For those just joining us, Andrew has COVID, so he won't be joining the rest of the show. Yeah. Uh, yes. Get yes, better. Feel correct. better. For I those just you. tuning in in your podcast feed. Uh, yeah, we appreciate you, <laughs> Andrew, and yes. uh, get some sleep. Yep, guys, be well. It's great All talking right. to you. Yep. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. All right. Well, uh, now, now for I think what everyone is waiting for. <laughs> That's right. You, Two grown men review what you are here for. Uh, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> Ticket to Paradise. I'm sorry. I think your things are in my seat. Oh, sorry. <gasps> oh, come on. You've got to be kidding me. Excuse me, ma'am. I need to sit somewhere else. We used to be married. Worst 19 years of my life. We were only married for five. I'm counting the recovery. In four days' time... Our daughter's going to marry a guy she just met in Bali, millions of miles from home. I just really want to kiss you. It's like I looked up for the first time and realized everything I ever wanted was right in front of me. She's throwing her career away. Just like her mother did. So I'm the only one who can stop her. She doesn't listen to him. Oh, champagne! Oh, two, please. Just leave the bottle. Thank you. A divorced couple teams up and travels to Bali to stop their daughter from making the same mistake they think they made 25 years ago. George Clooney and Julia Roberts in a rom-com. Um, with, no, this is not One Fine Day 2. Uh, one Finer Day, as I believe it would be called. Uh, or we, Oceans 14. Uh, yeah, or Oceans, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Oceans 94. Uh, this is a modern movie with the modern... Julia Roberts and George Clooney teaming up, uh, and Caitlin Deaver, who I love. I love Caitlin Deaver. One of my faves uh, hanging out in this movie as well. What did you think, John? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? This is the high side of just okay. Oh. <laughs> a little than bit Black better. Adam. Uh, slightly, yeah. That's the headline. The headline. Ticket to Paradise is better than Black Adam. Slightly better than Black Adam, it says. New Hampshire's John Paula. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put that on the DVD. What are the DVD? odds in Vegas that that makes the the byline on the poster? What are the yeah, odds? Put, what are the put odds? that on the DVD? Slightly better. <laughs> 
And this movie should come out on DVD, by the way. And maybe Laserdisc, uh, if it yeah. wants to. Uh, I am actually with you. In fact, I'm going low side of liked it. I do think this is better than Black Adam. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would maybe even say, you could probably talk me into upgrading to low side of liked it. There's a lot of this that's very charming, and I enjoyed it. There's a reason these movies work. There's yeah. a reason these kind of movies work. There is something... Uh, really interesting about exploring relationships, especially between people who have genuine chemistry like George Clooney and Julia Roberts do. Uh, For sure. You're going to throw a couple people on screen who I love watching on screen, who I love watching together on screen, and you're going to put them in a beautiful place, having a lot of fun, put them in hijinks. I'm going to have a good time. Like, it's just, it's not rocket science. And I did. I thought this movie was really, really fun. Yeah, no, I think so much of it, so much of my enjoyment was George Clooney. He gives one of my favorite romantic com performances in a long time. Mm-hmm. There's something about this sort of reluctant kind of grumpy dad out of his element that is going through the motions. And it reminded me a lot of Robert De Niro in Meet the Parents, mm-hmm. but like with a funnier, more charming and more attractive kind of persona. Like this, this George Clooney can still get it, like absolutely. And watching him kind of go through this grumpy reluctance like i don't want my daughter to marry and he he's going along for the ride but every line out of his mouth i i was laughing at he's really funny in this uh just from that like understated dry style of comedy and it's it's a beautiful movie to look at they filmed all in location i think in northern australia uh up in queensland uh Mm -hmm. it, it looks gorgeous um and the central narrative is something we've seen before it's you know the two parents want to sabotage their kids relationship and Oh boy, I I wonder if they'll come to terms with that by the end of the movie and accept their daughter for who she wants to be. Like, oh wow, huge it's surprise. A, it's a, it's a big negative, and probably the biggest negative is just how cliche and tropey everything is. But yeah. I've said this before: cheese is cheese because it's cheese. Like it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the same when you deal with something like this. The tropes and cliches are tropes and cliches because they're tropes and cliches. Like, they work. Um, So uh, when you see through it and you see the paint by numbers and you see the, you know, just the structure is the same, that can be annoying. And that is the biggest negative because it is annoying that you're just like, I've seen this a million times before. I was really hoping that the the fiancé that Caitlin Deaver is marrying – turned out to be evil in some way. They're like, maybe the parents are right and their misgivings are well-founded. Um, but we've seen that before too, I'm sure. You know, it's not like, you know, that hasn't happened somewhere, but yeah. No, I, I, I was kind of hoping for like a big twist. and like, this is not the type of movie where you get that. Uh, I, I will say this is exactly the type of movie your mom is going to love. <laughs> this is this is a movie like made for moms, made for, you know, boomer women. They're going to love this. It's George Clooney. It's Julia Roberts. People they know, people they yeah. love. Yeah. And it's it's inoffensive. It's unchallenging. And it's kind of breezy. It's kind of quick. It's only like 95 minutes with credits. I think you're going to have a good time with it. And it's it's – I don't know if you need to rush out to the theater. I think this is probably a wait and get it on digital. But, um, yeah, there's not a lot to say about it. But I enjoyed it for what it was, which wasn't a lot. So uh, my story in seeing this movie is I walk into the theater – theater by the way at 3 30 on a friday packed okay. theater i am one of three men in the entire packed theater <laughs> and i am maybe 
the youngest person in the theater. <laughs> I believe <laughs> like, it. I it believe is, that. And it's that movie. And that's yeah, okay. And that's okay. That's now, okay. I think they need to make more movies for old people, especially people like my mom, who never, my, I think my mom hasn't been to the theater in 10 years. Yeah. I don't think she'll go to see this, but I think if I said, do you want to come with me to see Ticket to Paradise? She'd be like, oh, okay, sure. She would be entertained by this. It's, yeah. it's a very safe movie for moms, for lack of, I feel kind of degrading the way I'm phrasing it, but I mean that in a, in a positive way. Uh, this is the kind of movie like your parents will enjoy. It's yeah. it's fun. And Demographics it's, are a thing. That's okay. Yeah. Um, George and Julie are great. We've already talked about them. Caitlin Deaver, I've mentioned, one of my favorites. I don't know that I've ever seen a Caitlin Deaver performance that that I haven't enjoyed. Even when she so, was on the Tim Allen show, I was so like, so the whole time I'm watching this, going, she seems familiar. What do I know her from? I've seen Dear Evan Hansen, um, but like, what what do you love her from? Because I don't actually, I think, really okay, know much of her so work. So if you want a little Kate, Caitlin Deaver catch up, you know, because I did, I I agree. I, I thought like, wow, this girl's really, she's great in this. She's she's amazing. Um, here are some must sees that Caitlin okay. uh, Deaver is in. Um, you uh, book smart clearly. You have to yes, watch I've book smart. If you I have seen, seen that. That is great. Uh, beautiful boy. She's great in beautiful okay. boy. Okay. Um, she's great in Detroit when she turns up. Um, okay. 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 If you've never seen Short Term Twelve, do yourself a favor and check out Short Term Twelve. Short Term 12 launched, basically launched the careers. Are you ready for this? For this? Of Brie Larson, Caitlin Deaver, Rami Malik, Stephanie Ooh. Beatrice, um, and where's uh, Lakeith Stanfield? Lakeith Stanfield as well. So TV show or a movie? It's a movie. Short Term 12. It's incredible. It's an incredible movie. Um, so, yeah. That's that is. I, I got it. I got it written down right here. <laughs> uh but no caitlin is amazing she's awesome um those are some just some of the the places that you have seen her would want to see her she was in the spectacular now as well right around the same time as short term 12 um so that's where i kind of i actually i actually saw her first on the tim allen show and last she was man standing last man standing she was the best thing about that show in my opinion uh and then she's just gone on to a a, a really interesting and and fun career so um, yeah, check out Caitlin Deaver wherever you get a chance to. Uh, I would also mention uh, in that cast, uh, Maxime Boutier, uh, who is the the boyfriend slash fiance, I think is great. Um, but Billy Lord slayed me in this movie. The the wise really? the wisecracking friend just slayed me. I didn't like like the um, the what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just the caricatureness of that character a little bit just the yeah she's a little thirsty for lack of a better word right yes literally literally thirsty and uh, metaphorically um but she's so funny and her delivery just slayed me uh in this. i kind of wanted to see more of her i don't know that they used her enough because there's a couple scenes where sure. she looks over at george clooney with a guy next to her like oh he doesn't know it yet but he's gonna have breakfast with me and i i, I laughed that was funny that her confidence the sort of delivery and then, of course, this guy's wife walks up right next uh -huh. to him with a pregnant belly, and yeah. George kind of gives her the side eye, like, "Are you sure about that?" And uh, yeah, there was some great. Well, moments I think he with says, her. Is, uh, is, "Is it will his wife be joining you guys for breakfast?" Oh, that's right. Or something? Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's some solid humor in there, and I think she delivered every scene she was in. She had one or two that landed, mm -hmm. um, but I think she's only really only in like four or five scenes, and I, I really wanted more of her um, in it because she was really fun. Everyone was to be everyone. It seemed like this cast was having a good time. Everyone, it's a focused movie, 
You know, that's that's the other thing. I mean, we really are with George and Julia for most of this movie. Um, yeah, there's really only, what, four, five principal characters in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of extra things going on. It doesn't have a lot of side plots. Uh, and I appreciate that because I think a lot of modern movies have a tendency to get distracted with, like, what else can we have fun with? And, and huge detours. And, and it's like, we don't need any of that. And, and one of my main negatives uh, in the movie, one of the side detours I just never really jumped on board for was the pilot boyfriend uh, side detour. Um, it was the one yeah. performance that felt a little less authentic to, than the rest to me. Granted, that character I think is supposed to read as inauthentic, but the acting also read as inauthentic, if you can differentiate between those two things. I don't um, know that I can, but I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> he was. I agree. He, fe- he felt like a movie person and not a real person. Right, right. You can be authentically inauthentic as a character. He was not. I thought yes. he was inauthentically inauthentic. Um, yes. So that was really... The only part of the plot story, you know, movie making that I just was kind of out on those those scenes, that plot line, that idea, that message, the the foil think, that he was supposed to play. I just and yeah, I, I don't, and, you know, I don't think they needed it. Yeah, he exactly. set up as like, well, Julia Roberts already has uh, a plus one, so that's going to be the obstacle that prevents her from getting back with George Clooney. And it's like we don't need that because they're hate they hate each other at the beginning of this movie. That's that's the antagonist. We don't need a, a physical person to stand in for their conflict. Their conflict is emotional, and they'll resolve it by the end of the movie. That's what we're watching for. You don't need someone else to embody that conflict. We, right. we get it. Like, And it's okay just to have people resolve their differences, but it's like, no, well, well we need like a big showy moment where she can you know, definitively and, and you know, profess that this is the direction she wants to take her life. And it's like, well, I don't know that we need a guy in the movie for her to do that with. I think just right. George Clooney and her worked that out. And they have so many good scenes together where, where they're fighting and there's like this, I'm like, oh, they're going to kiss? Oh, my God, they're going to... Oh, they don't? Ooh. There's, there's so much, there's so much good... Like sexual chemistry between these two, and they're, I agree. they're so I agree. I they're think so they're... charming, and I could just watch them bicker and fight and kind of flirt back and forth for the full ninety minutes, and I would have been like, "This is this is great. I'm having right. a good time." I think what they were trying to do with that character is a little bit of a gender swap on a typical rom com trope, which it's usually the man that's got like a younger girlfriend who is more flighty or whatever and doesn't really connect with them. And so I think the idea was to gender swap that a little bit. Um, it just didn't quite work for work for me. I agree. Um, but I but I see that I respect I respect the effort of what maybe they were trying to do with that. Now, did any of the sort of more dramatic emotional beats land for you. There's a couple short monologues where where Clooney is sort of pontificating on like why his marriage dissolved. There's a moment where he's kind of talking to um, the fiance about, you know, you're going to fall out of love. This isn't going to work. She's going to leave you. And I thought some of those actually genuinely like, oh, wow, this is like heartfelt. George is actually trying here. He's not just kind of phoning in and having a free vacation. There's some earnest delivery to these like emotional regrets that he is espousing. Uh, I thought some of those scenes really worked. I agree. And in fact, what I was going to say, if you want to put your finger on the one main reason, I would say this was a better experience than Black Adam, that I enjoyed it more than Black Adam. It is because it worked for me on an emotional level. Um, There were moments, parenting moments, relationship moments. There were several moments that because the quality of the acting was so good, 
that it came through and hit my heart and I was just like, oh, I feel that. I, 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 I've been there in some ways. I understand what that emotion feels like. I know what you're getting at and I'm so thankful for my relationship and my relationship with my kids and um, I, I just, yeah, it, it definitely did that thing that it's supposed to do. Uh, in fact, I don't remember any that rang false to me. They're, they're other, again, maybe other than the, the pilot subplot, but that was... That wasn't ever supposed to ring that way. So I would say the movie, yeah, it doesn't go too deep on anything. It's not trying to be this really emotional, you know, tearjerker type film. But they, they do kind of lightly touch upon themes of regret and second chances. And I think they hit all those really, really effectively. Um, and then they kind of move on without dwelling too much into that. Um, and I appreciate it because it does. It does work. You connect with the characters emotionally. You kind of want to see them. You definitely want to see them up uh, together at the end of the film. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a, a very safe movie that's going to give you kind of exactly what you want. And, it's it's got a lot of chest. It. It's got a lot of like chest glow moments, you know, where you just feel like you just feel warm mm -hmm. and you know you feel good. Maybe it doesn't quite push the tears out of the eyes or whatever, but you could just you just feel that good happy feeling. Um, For sure. And I like that. I like that. Uh, anything else, John, about Ticket to Paradise before we close out um, our thoughts? I felt there was one conflict in the movie that I didn't appreciate the resolution to, where George and Julia um, do some very, like a very bad thing to their daughter. They, they actively and physically sabotage their daughter's wedding in a very real way that I thought would be like unforgivable. Mm -hmm. And the movie's third act is like, eh, it's fine. Let's keep going. And it was like, oh, I feel like we really needed to address this in a in a longer and more absolute way than just it's fine. Let's go. And I was I was a little irked at like how easily that was dismissed when it's like if I had done that to my parents or vice versa, like I don't know that I'd keep talking to them like that. I would like you know disown you from my life if you actively did something that bad deliberately. It lied to me like that is. It was, I, it was like I was surprised at how easily there's like fine it's okay. I will now watch my back uh, with how I <laughs> how what I do to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you I know what I'm saying, get right? Disowned. Uh, I do know what you're saying. I don't think on a personal level I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, I, to my own fault, lead with forgiveness and grace and oh, I'm all fine that with stuff, the, I'm fine with I'm fine with moving forward and forgiving them. I felt like the apology needed to be. A little better. Correct. That is, and that's what I was going to say is on a movie level, I don't think yeah. the movie resolves the intensity of the conflict to the intensity of the And it resolution. was the same. It was the same day. It was like three hours later. Yeah. It's like, you did this unforgivable thing to me. Yeah. You tried to ruin my life. And it's, I'm sorry, sweetie. Okay, let's get married. Like, what? That's it? Okay, there are, fine. Well, the movie does have two moments, one with each parent that I think yep. are supposed to give us resolution. I just don't believe the resolution is equal in intensity to the conflict. Um, right. And I, and you I do articulated think... it better as usual than I do. <laughs> Thank you. I do think, I do think that uh, yes. is an issue. My one last thing is I will never for the life of me ever, ever understand beer pong in the, uh, the attraction of getting wasted. I don't get it. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. Maybe that's it. Maybe people just think it's funny to watch people get ways. Drinking games have never made sense to me. Uh, and I'm right with you. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I skipped over that whole part of my adolescence and I was like, yeah. wait, you want me to drink the cup you just threw this dusty <laughs> ping pong ball into? 
I can't drink enough. I have to drink that one. Uh, this is. But there's 12 of them. We're going to be absolutely gone by the end of this. And that's the point. That's, that is that's the point. what I'm saying. I don't I, like. I don't understand why that's the point. And uh, it was so. It was an interesting cognitive dissonance for me watching that scene. Going, this may be the funniest scene in the movie. Also, why do people do this? Uh, which happens in this? movies sometimes. Well, like uh, most drinking games, it's just a means to an end. Like I want to get drunk, right, but I need right. an excuse so I don't feel bad maybe about that's my life it. choices. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's it. I've never understand the desire just to get drunk. Like I've never understood that you know that need or or that want. So uh, there you go. There's some thoughts on Ticket to Paradise. Before we head into the best ever challenge, thank you to our Sif Pop members. We love and appreciate you. Uh, you keep us going. Uh, you encourage us. It's amazing how. When a new Sif Pop member comes on board at three dollars a month or five dollars a month or whatever, uh, and that email comes through, it's it's just, it's that chest flow that we were just talking about. Where it's like it's so encouraging to know people listen, enjoy the website, whatever it might be, and say, you know what, three dollars a month, uh, I'd love to send your way. Thank you for that. It really does impact us. So appreciate it. If you're interested, it's at Patreon, Patreon.com/siftpop. S-I-F-T-P-O-P. Uh, some fun perks that we try to give to our members. Uh, there's bonus episodes most weeks, uh, some different things that you can check out there. So yeah, go to patreon.com slash siftpop and thank you for even considering it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's move on to the best ever challenge. Best ever movies with the word black in the title. Um, We will go number five to number one. Uh, Even though Andrew is not with us, if there's one that you have higher, you can... You can trump it. Uh, (laughs) That's delightful. Uh, John, let's start with you. What is your number five? Got to throw this one back uh, a good. I'm going to do the math here wrong. 88 years to the Black Cat. This was the first of seven movies to co star horror heavyweights Bella Lugosi and Boris um, Karloff. Okay. Uh, it, It is a quick 65 minutes. Uh, I haven't seen it in a few years, so I don't remember a lot of the plot points. But if you love that old black and white universal horror aesthetic, the original Frankenstein, the original Dracula, this movie came out just a couple years after both of those. Uh, And it's great. Atmospheric, really good kind of payoff at the end. Um, It's certainly not as scary or as uh, gory as anything you'd see today. But there's something very comforting about an old black and white horror movie from Universal that hits in a different way. And seeing both Bella and... um, Boris in the same film, uh, kind of ham it up and really go toe to toe with each other is so much fun. Uh, one of the, I think, one of the best 
like classic black and whites that not a lot of people talk about in the same conversation you would with like the original Mummy or the Invisible Man. I, black Cat should be in that conversation. Really good time. Uh, big recommend if you uh, if you like 88 year old movies. <laughs> nice. Which I, I occasionally do. do. I occasionally yeah, no, I, do. I, I love to go back there. Anyway. I have never seen this, uh, so I will uh, put it on my recommends list. Um, that is Black Cat. Is that what it is? Yes. Black Cat in at number five. Or for The Black Cat. I don't know which. Jonathan. Um, my number five is Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, Trump. <laughs> All right. He did it better. <laughs> Well, well, thank you. My imitation is really dead on today. Really dead on. Uh, All right. We'll wait to talk about that in a bit. What's your number four, John? Uh, It's a bit of a cheat because it's not really a movie. It's a concert film. But uh, Roy Orbison, Black and White Knight. This was one of the first or I'm sorry, one of the last projects Roy did before he passed away of, I want to say cancer in 1989. But he got together with all of his rock star friends, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, Bruce Springsteen, and they did a concert it's like a 95-minute show, all of his big hits, uh, Only the Lonely, Pretty Woman, and these guys are having fun. And for some reason, I don't actually remember why, they filmed the entire concert in black and white, uh, sort of the aesthetic of his like 50s mm-hmm. rocker vibe. Yeah. Um, and if you like good rock and roll music, and if you've heard of Tom Petty or Bruce Springsteen or Roy Orbison, this is a delightful show to watch. It's a great album to listen to, um, some of the best recordings of any of his songs. And it is one of the. It feels like one of those reunion shows at like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where all the guys just get together and they're all just jamming and laughing on stage together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what this is for the full hour and a half or whatever it is. Uh, so much fun, and I love Roy's music for sure. Very nice, man. You're just you're just getting me. I haven't seen any of your your movies. So this far. one, I, I didn't expect you to see this one. This one is uh, not a popular film. I think probably more people have heard the album, but uh, sure. it's a good good uh, movie as well. Nice, uh, Roy Orbison. Um, what was it again? Black, Black and White Knight. Black and White Knight, if you want to check it out. Uh, my number four is a movie called Black Swan. Um, good pick, good pick. It's, it's interesting to me because Black Swan is one of those movies, when I saw it for the first time, I wasn't super familiar with Darren Aronofsky. It wasn't like I was thinking, oh, it's an Aronofsky film. In yeah, I think this is my first from him. Yeah, in hindsight, I go back and I watch it and I go, oh, this is just an Aronofsky film. But I remember watching it the first time, even without that context, and just being like, okay, there is some really interesting filmmaking going on here. There's some really interesting metaphor going on here. There's interesting plays between reality and fiction and storytelling and what it means to be creative and to suffer for your art. Um it's it's really astonishing filmmaking, like the idea of putting visual images together to convey emotion and feeling. Um, and I think probably where the seed of my love for Aronofsky kind of started. And I am a bit of a Aronofsky even defender of some of the stuff that other people don't enjoy. Um, so this is kind of where that started. And I think it's a, a really good film. What's your experience this- with it, John? Um, so I started reviewing all Best Picture nominees the year this came out, and I remember it pretty fondly for that reason. It was one of the first movies yeah. I reviewed when I started doing my Oscar specials on YouTube every year, and it, it I, I haven't seen it since. That was 12 years ago, but it holds up. But I remember the images in this are like visceral. They're a little bit haunting, and there's some like strong, emotional, traumatic stuff happening, and Natalie and, and Mila Kunis are just fantastic in this. They 
I think both probably, I think Natalie was nominated. Um, but I feel like they both, they both should have been and maybe even should have won. Like this yeah. movie was, for both of them, clearly uh, a, like a, an emotional, uh, traumatic experience. Both of them went through the film this. And it, and it comes through. Well, she did win. Okay, thank you for the correction there because she's so, so good in this. Um, and yeah, I think this is my um, introduction to his um Have you liked his other well. stuff? I uh, honestly hated The Fountain. It, it is it is not a movie for me at all. Mm-hmm. I appreciated what he was doing with Mother, but again, did not really uh, connect to it. Um, and I don't know that I've seen, I haven't seen Requiem for a Dream yet. That is high on my list of shame. Uh, and The Whale is coming out soon. I'm excited yeah. for that. But I would, I would say, no, I am not a fan. Um, I appreciate what he does. I think he's a very talented and very visual filmmaker that has some good thematic stuff to say. I just haven't really connected with uh, his work yet. And I think it's because I I appreciate more character-driven stories. Sure. And he's more, like, metaphorical and more uh, visual, for sure. Um, But actually, I would say of the four I've seen, Black Swan is my favorite by a a clear margin. There are The ones of his that I would say I love, let's just say I love these movies. Mother, I love. Probably my favorite of his. I I think it's astonishingly intricate uh i'm i'm blown away by a movie where three different people can come out and go it is so clear what this metaphor is like you know the the metaphor is almost too clear and all three of them have a different metaphor like it is yeah no i I really appreciated it for what it was doing but i was like i didn't enjoy it though yeah (laughs) the same way i think you feel about the same way you feel about like a good horror movie right like you don't like to be scared but you can appreciate what it's attempting to do and that was kind of is a a horror movie in some ways it's it's not it's not a movie like oh this will be really enjoyable to put on in the middle of the day (laughs) uh the wrestler i think is worth saying i love black swan is worth saying i love so those three are the ones in i haven't seen the whale yet um and then there are those that I defend, even though I don't love uh, Noah. I defend Noah. I think there's I some really I'm, interesting things going on there. I haven't um, seen a few. I'm looking at this going like, all right, I clearly I skipped the the train on Aronofsky because I haven't seen Pi either, his debut in 98. I know that's supposed to be interesting. I don't love Pi, but I do defend it. And that goes in that category too. So like Noah, Pi, uh, Requiem for a Dream, and uh, The Fountain are all movies I defend um, yeah. as you know worth uh, checking out, even though I don't love them per se. Um, but yeah, he's just such an interesting director. So yeah, I wanted to mention Black Swan in here, uh, which I think brings us to your number three. Uh, yes, uh, my number three, another classic horror movie. This one you probably have heard of, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is one of the all-time best monster movies. It Today, when you go back and watch it, it feels like, oh, this is so tropey and there's so many cliches. But I was like, yeah, but this movie helped pioneer them. Uh, this was one of the progenitors of that entire like subgenre of like the weird creature that stalks the people and you eventually have to track them down and kill them. And, uh, it's so much fun. I think, again, atmospherically, the visuals, I, most of it's shot on a, on a wet soundstage, but uh, there's something about the costumes and the design and the, the world building of this tiny area that just, I don't know, it gets me in the mood. It's a good Halloween watch every year, um, and I really dig it. And it, it is uh, a cliche and a trope for a reason. And if you want to see where a lot of those kind of originated from, uh, 1959's Creature from the Black Lagoon is a great film, and I think it holds up. Very well, in my estimation. 54, I'm sorry. Have you watched uh, Marvel's Werewolf by Night 
yet? I haven't yet, but that is on my my list probably the next couple of weeks, actually. Yeah. Yeah. If you dig these kind of movies, like you, you need to check out Marvel's Werewolf by For Night. For sure. I, and I oh, was yeah. so – I was blown away when I saw Giacchino's name at the top of the masthead. I'm like, wait mm-hmm. a minute. The composer is yeah. directing? I was. I had to do a double take. I was like, I am very interested to see what one of my favorite current composers is capable of doing behind the lens. Yeah. It's unfair how talented some people are. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Andrew, chiming in from chat, uh, wanted to let us know that he thinks the creature is one of the best designs of all time. And mm-hmm. uh, it's fair. inclined to agree. I mean, he's he's like a creepy, slimy, scaly-looking mm-hmm. dude. And uh, uh, that movie poster where he's, like, holding up the girl, it's it's iconic. Mm-hmm. Like, it, so much of this, it spawned so many imitators. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, yeah this is, it's a great black-and-white horror movie. Uh, yeah, John just, uh, just determined to keep his choices before the year 1980, uh, so far on this list. Uh, all right. We will head into my number three, which is men in black. Um, I got to trump this. Trump. All right. There we go. Thank you. I think I know your top two. Uh, yeah, that, uh, we'll talk about that here in a bit. So let's get to it. What is your number two, John? Um, uh, men in black. I'm sorry. I there you that. go. <laughs> All right, go ahead. You start. <laughs> made, made no, you wait 12 seconds. Higher. You've got it oh, higher. Right. So you start. Um, Barry Sonnenfeld, I think hit the ball out of the park on his first foray into this. I, I don't even know what you call it. action, comedy, comic book genre. It's a blend of all three. And, I mean, buoyed almost entirely on the charisma of Will Smith, who was red lightning hot when this mm-hmm. came out in, what, 1998? Um, it is just an absolute blast. I watched it when it came out. I was probably like 12 or 13. I loved it then. I revisited it just a year or two ago, and it, I was actually, I liked it more. It holds up. Um, what's his name? Uh, Lawrence D'Onofrio's portrayal of the bug man is just mm-hmm. incredible. He is so good as the bug man in this. It's just such a creepy, weird performance. And I think everybody appreciates Tommy Lee Jones playing the the straight guy. Uh, and then there's little pearls of wisdom in there that they drop in with these little monologues of dialogue about how, um, you know, a person is smart, but people are stupid. All these great little lines that, that I think have made their way into the popular lexicon. And there's fun creature design. There's uh, awesome uh, weapons and world building and the car with the button and the neuralizer and the glasses and the all the alien friends. Like, there's just so many little details. I just want to, like, live in this world. Uh, there's so much about Men in Black that I love. And I've watched it probably five or six times, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that puts it in, like, the top 1% of all movies for me. Um, really, really love this one. Totally agree. Uh, Will and Tommy are obvious loves. Um, also, I'd throw in Tony Shalhoub, who I think is really yes. fun in this movie. And the talking pug. Like, there's so many mm-hmm. elements of it that is just like, yes, that guy too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so it's so quirky and so fun. It's the idea that, that Will Smith did basically back to back big budget sci fi uh, alien movies uh, is is astonishing because you almost don't think about it that way because they're so different. Independence Day is so different tone wise than Men yes. in Black, and yet he his charisma just explodes out of both of them. Um, yeah, Men in Black is so like there's fun. there's that there's this entire silent scene where he's just trying to take a test while sitting in an egg shaped chair, and like the entire thing is like pantomime. Like there's no dialogue for like three minutes of screen time, and mm-hmm. it's all just Will being a goof, trying to like let's pull this table over, 
right across the entire, and like there's stuff in there that hold up 25 years later and it's just him being goofy and he's so fun in this film. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Uh, Men in Black is my number three. It is John's number two. Uh, my number two is Black Hawk Down. Good pick. Um, man, I love this movie. Uh, it is, it's just done so well. It is a movie that just owns you. Ridley Scott so understands structure, story, and pacing in such an intricate way that his movies often I find myself just like just like grabbed by the shoulders. Like his movies just have a way of grabbing you by the shoulders and just making you pay attention for the entire time. Um, so yeah, Black Hawk Down is, uh, by the way, Josh Hartnett, Eric Bana, Ewan McGregor, Tom Hardy, Huge Orlando cast. Bloom, and Jason nobody Isaacs. Was, nobody was big back then. Right. It is the short term 12 of 2001. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, Tom Sizemore, William Fickner, like it is just, it's amazing cast. But an even more amazing story and production. So uh, yeah, Black Hawk, Black Hawk Down is uh, my number two. Thank you for the reminder uh, that this movie exists and is excellent. I saw it in theaters 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it since. But every time I come across it in my feed, I'm like, I need to rewatch Black Hawk Down. That movie was so good. I want to. I've I've just I've been on a Ridley Scott kick recently, and just like thinking, like a Ridley Scott film film festival would be so fun like just watching everything that that he's put together um and directed. i mean i i just rewatched the martian a week ago for its mm-hmm. i guess what's uh sixth or fifth anniversary mm-hmm. uh no seventh i'm sorry it came out 2015 and my favorite space movie of like the last decade is the martian um Maybe maybe second Interstellar actually. Uh, anyway, brilliant brilliant film. I'm like I don't know. Is this going to be as good as I remember seeing it on opening night? It's better. Ridley yeah. Scott. He has consistently um, cranked out banger after banger. I mean, Blade Runner, Alien, Gladiator, uh, Thelma and Louise, American Gangster. Uh, I can't speak to Robin Hood, but uh, let's see, Martian. Uh, the Last Duel was also really excellent. That's like his most recent. I was going to say, if you're going to see a Ridley Scott movie from last year, pick The Last Duel and not House of Gucci. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you know he's he's been excellent for a very long time. Blade Runner is forty years old. Also raised by wolves, the TV show that has been you know canceled I, was amazing. It was amazing. I, I'll have to check that out. I don't even know what that is. Uh, raised by wolves was a sci-fi TV show on HBO that Ridley Scott directed and uh, oversaw. When? Uh, this was two years ago. Oh, okay, okay. I thought it was like an older thing. No. Okay, cool. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, he's so willing to take on projects and somehow, you know, continues to knock them out. So yeah. Anyways, nice little Ridley Scott, uh, tangent. So number ones, what do you got? So this is what I had at, uh, number one, Andrew had at number three. He's, he's providing his answers in chat. We'll have to run through those at the end. Sure. And I think you had Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl at number five. I did. So uh, I think uh, a movie we all enjoy. Um, I don't need to espouse its virtues, uh, I think, much. Everyone knows it. One of my prime... It's it's so good. (laughs) It's it's really fun. It's one of my prime examples when people try to use the logic of, oh, sequels can ruin the original. And I just go, no, look at at Curse of the Black Pearl. That movie is... You can watch that movie, have a blast, 
just because the sequels weren't quite as good or, you know, ruined stuff for you or the character now feels played out or whatever, doesn't matter. Curse of the Black Pearl is an amazing movie. Like, um, it's it's so fun. The performance is iconic. It's an iconic performance. I think uh, I think Jack Sparrow's introduction where he steps off the crow's nest right as the boat sinks, mm-hmm. as it bumps into the dock, might be the best single character introduction Maybe ever. In the history of cinema. Maybe ever. If it's not ever, it's like top five. It Man, is that's so... a fun list. I would love to see like a real exploration of that list. That's that's interesting. Like the first yeah. time we see him on screen is just like his persona. You get it instantly. He's a guy that like somehow is the luckiest son of a gun on the ocean. But he's also like totally aloof and clueless. But he keeps... And it's I, I love everything about uh, his character and Johnny Depp's portrayal of it. This is like theme park cinema. It's just a big swashbuckling adventure, and it's fun. It's easygoing, and there's just so many good set pieces in this movie. And all of the sequels have at least one or two great moments. Like, how did they even think of doing this the way they did it? But then, more importantly. Gore Verbinski actually directs it in a way where you can follow what's happening. It's like a cloudy mess of cannonballs and gunfire and swords and ropes, but you get it. You follow the action, really well-plotted stuff, uh, and that, I think, needs to be stated because so many movies today just edit around it and you can't follow it. Um, yeah. yeah, Curse of the Black Pearl is a, a great modern action adventure classic. Great choice, great choice. Uh, my number one's Black Panther. Um, Ooh, really? I yeah, I love this movie. It is top five Marvel for me. Um, I think Chadwick and, and Michael B. Jordan alone are enough to put this at the top. Uh, even with some of the typical Marvel stuff at the end that doesn't quite work as well for me, the the this movie is just so engaging and cool and fun. It's not just them. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o is amazing. Letitia Wright. Shuri is just one of the most fun characters Marvel's put on screen. Um, just down the line, uh, this this movie is is absolutely incredible. Daniel Kaluuya's in there. Winston Duke's in there. It's just, it's so great. Black Panther. I am looking better. forward to rewatching this very shortly in preparation for Wakanda Forever. Um, I loved it when it first came out, but it's not a top five Marvel for me, which is why it kind of just would have made my honorable mentions for today's Mm -hmm. list here. Um, But I'm so glad to hear you loved it because I know it resonated with so, so many. I think it remains top five highest grossing movies domestically of all time. Mm -hmm. It made so much money. It clearly struck a chord. People are like, yes, no, more superhero movies that are good with minorities in them. Please, thank you. And mm-hmm. I, I'm excited for the sequel. I think it's going to do huge, huge numbers. Um, yeah. And obviously, without Chadwick, it's going to be weird and different and, and difficult. But um, yeah, it, it the was, original, the original know, was, was so good. It did so much, and in, in there's just there's there's this idea that you know that Hollywood for so long has decided that that tokenism is is the route to go to bring diversity to storytelling. Yeah, as opposed to embracing culture and embracing, um, you know, the idea of of the world of people of color, and so a movie like this shouts very loudly that you know you that you can be successful um, breaking out of the idea of tokenism. You know that you can, you know, really just go for it. Um, so yeah, it's good stuff. Good pick. Uh, really, really quick. I want to. I want to list off Andrew's picks. Yeah, so go we for can it. At least be. And then we'll get to tangentially things. part of the show here. 
Uh, he had Men in Black at five, uh, Pitch Black, the Vin Diesel movie. Mm-hmm. At I had four, that my honorable is, mentions. That, that is that is a good one. I only watched that for the first time a, a, a year ago, and I remember it's thinking, really good. Oh, this is this is much better than I expected for a Vin it's Diesel really good. movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has Pirates at number three. Um, Black Swan at two and Black Hawk Down at one. So a lot of the the same movies we had in slightly different order. Uh, some honorable you, mentions Andrew. that we will mention honorably. Um, <laughs> I I like Black Widow more than most, so I will mention that in in okay. honorable mentions. Uh, Want to mention Black Mass? Speaking of Johnny Depp, um, that is uh, one I, I think did not love one. that movie, but I think it is a, a recommended watch at least. I think for the performances alone, it's a recommended mm. watch. Um, but yeah, Black Klansman, I think, deserves to be yes, mentioned. from for uh, sure. A couple of years ago. And then uh, I think this year, The Black Phone, uh, probably worth mentioning, worth checking out. So wanted to put that in there. Uh, John, did you have any others? Uh, a few. Uh, Black Bear, this sort of psychological horror film with Audrey Plaza from just a couple of years ago was really fascinating. Uh, another Chadwick film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, worth it alone for his mm-hmm. Oscar-nominated uh, performance. And just one monologue in particular just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, let's see. Uh, Blackfish. Is that – what is that? that that's the, the movie about the uh, – yeah, that, that's the – I think the SeaWorld documentary, Blackfish, mm-hmm. where it really exposes all the, the horrors of that. Um, yeah. That's a pretty good film. Um Black Swan, Black Hawk Down, you mentioned those. Uh, let's see, anything else on here that I, we haven't mentioned? Uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, which is an old Spencer Tracy Western from 55. That was also mm. very enjoyable when I watched it uh, last November. Uh, yeah, but that, yeah, that's my honorable mentions list. Very nice. Uh, all right, let's move into Buried Treasure. John, what's that one thing? Uh, actually, I'll go first, let you finish. Uh, but we'll sure. talk about that one thing in any area of pop culture that we want to make sure people know about. Um, so I wanted to talk about a TV show that's been out for a little bit now. Um, I actually, I should call it like a limited series, I guess, but it's based on a, based on a true story. Um, it is called We Crashed. Um, We Crashed. It is on Apple TV plus. Uh, this is Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway, uh, playing the leads in this movie. And this is based on the true story of the company WeWork, uh, which eventually became uh, We Incorporated. Uh, Adam Newman and Rebecca Newman, um, I should say Rebecca Paltrow Newman. She is Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, cousin, I think, first cousin. Um, But yeah, they came together with uh, Miguel McKelvey, was his name, to form a common workspace company that kind of took over the world and the show goes into how much of that was based on Adam Newman's cult of personality and just this idea that in modern economy the idea is fine but the salesperson behind the idea is even more important and money is imaginary and all it takes is convincing the right person to give you billions of dollars um, and all of a sudden a shared workspace company tries to pretend that it's changing the world. Um, and it's, it's a, for me, here's what I loved about it. Two things. First of all, I have a predilection already for true stories and just how fascinating they are. I love watching. And the, and the, the you also like seeing people with hubris get their comeuppance? Cause I know I do. <laughs> I know I do. 
I will address that in my second point, but that is not exactly how I would state it. Uh, So number one, true stories, always exciting to me. I love watching them fictionalized and then researching what was true, what was, you know, real. Big fan of that too. (laughs) Um, This, I I just, for me, it is... It is a drug. I just, I love that, you know, oh, this actually happened. Let's look at this story. This one, for the most part, if just to let you know, really follows directly a lot of what happened um, as far as the stuff we know, the public stuff. So watching this in that regard was really great. The second part of it is I love nuance. I love when I can watch something and feel like I'm not getting preached to. I'm not, you know, getting uh, hand-fed, forced-fed a certain I- ideal or ideology. You mentioned comeuppance. Comeuppance is a powerful narrative device. Clearly, uh, it works, and there's a huge element of that here. Huge element of comeuppance. But the nuance comes in that the show gives us compassion and an empathy for these villains, misunderstood people, uh, delusional people. Like delusion is different than villainy a little bit. So like yes. the, the the show is willing to help us understand several parts of the psychology of what happened here. It's not trying to paint with a broad brush and go, this is what happened in this situation. Right. It really gives you meat to chew on of well, was their idea actually that bad? Actually, the idea that he came from a commune, he grew up on a commune, and he he will say things like, you will spend the rest of your life after college chasing the feeling of what it was like to be working together with people and have that close-knit community. You'll be chasing that for the rest of your life. And the idea that you can create a work environment that you know was collegiate in that way, like that's that's actually really powerful. That's a great idea. Like there's there's something really good at the core of this. However, to think that you are then some sort of god creator, that's a little uh-huh. different. You know, like and just the new the nuance of how it handles that stuff is really good. Aside from that, Anne Hathaway, I mean, just give her all the trophies if for everything <laughs> she does. I just I am such an Anne Hathaway fan. She is so good in this. Um and She's then after, been ap- good in everything since always. My 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 caveat or my question here is, how's Jared Leto? Because I am not a big fan of him. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's talk about this. <laughs> well, uh, for those listening uh, in your car or at home, um, Aaron just had a very big grin on his face <laughs> when I, I asked him. I had a moment about halfway into this show. I was really enjoying Leto's performance, and I think I enjoyed it all the way through. I think it's it's more subdued than we're used. to. To seeing him do, which is interesting, interesting to say about this character because it's a, a you know very specific accent comes from a very specific place in, of the world, all that kind of things, all those kind of things. But about halfway through, I realized that he is basically doing a triumph the insult comic dog impression ah. <laughs> for me to poop on. And oh, that's I'm telling you, if he had said for me to poop on after several, like almost all of his lines, it would have made complete sense. Um, so I got a little distracted by that, but it is a pretty good performance. Um, so if you if you can overlook the fact that triumph the insult comic dog is coming out of his mouth, um, it is. Um, 
It is spectacular. I, this is a huge, huge, huge recommend for me. It's one of my favorite things I've seen this year. So wow. Um, so we. Did you, I know it, really it came out it. in the spring. Did you only just watch it now? Only just watched it now. Yep. Uh, and thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, I am uh, finally finding some. Well, I, I uh, my whole family caught a stomach bug. We were all down for like two days, and oh, no. I managed to to plow Finish through some thing. older shows um, while we were down for the count. Um, we but, crashed on Apple. TV mm-hmm. plus yes. that's a good recommend. I, you, I think you sold me on it. Yeah, uh, I hope so. I, 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 I really enjoyed it. How does this, how does this relate to while you were describing it? It felt like a mashup between like Steve jobs and the eyes of Tammy Faye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great description. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, Facebook, that kind of feel, you know, to it. Yeah, uh, social, social network, network. Is, obvious, is another yeah. obvious parallel. Yeah. Uh, now that sounds yeah. great. I'm excited to check it out. Yep, we I love a, I love a good limited series points. because I know going into a limited series they have the ending planned already. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, that is not the case for my buried treasure this week. Give it to us. The reboot requel of Quantum Leap, now airing on network television. It still exists, folks. <laughs> you can hook up an antenna and get NBC for free and watch this Monday nights at ten o'clock after. The Voice or Masked Singer or whatever is show is on Is it also on, on Peacock? Channel. I imagine it's also yes, on Peacock. Yes, it's, it's also on Peacock uh, the day after, um, for those of us who, who don't have antennas or cable anymore. Yes. Um, so Quantum Leap was one of my favorite shows from the 80s, early 90s. It ran for four seasons, 96-something episodes. Scott Bakula stars as this time traveler who goes from person to person, inhabiting their mind and body, taking over their life for a few days of one episode. Uh, and he has to put right what once went wrong in their life and fix the timeline. Sometimes it's really small scale stuff like falling in love with the right person or like, you know, saving one person's life or doing one thing that would change their person for the rest of their life. And the reboot kind of picks up the story 30 years later. Scott Bakula is still lost in time. No one's seen him since his last leap. And now we have a new set of protagonists, a new set of scientists who are, are effectively, I think, trying to track him down. It's sort of the, the season-long mystery is what happened to Scott Bakula in the original show and how will that, if ever, tie into the new show? But I think this episodic format of like walking a mile in somebody else's shoes is a little corny, but I, I like that like old-fashioned storytelling brought back into this new paradigm of 2022 television. The budgets are a bit higher. The stories are a little more action-oriented. There's an episode in space, one in the Old West, one where he's like a bank robber. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I think uh, if you can get past the first two episodes, which are a little rocky, it's finding its footing. They've done five se- five episodes now. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. And I love being back in this universe because they keep making little callbacks and references to things and episodes and characters hmm. from the original 96 episodes. So if you love the original show, I think this is a, a strong continuation that keeps teasing that we're going to get some resolution to long forgotten plot threads and unresolved uh, series finales from 1992. And I really hope that I am not being strung along and teased for a season only to be disappointed again. Because I think I speak for most Quantum Leap fans when I say the series finale of the original show is one of the most disappointing endings in the history of television. So the thought, the promise that we might finally get some sort of cap to that 30 years later is like, yes, please, I need resolution. What happened to Sam Beckett? And this show, I think, might answer it. And I'm really excited for that. This is such an interesting one for me. 
Uh, Have you watched either show? I watched, I was a casual Quantum Leap in syndication watcher. Yeah, I picked it up when I was a teenager in like the early 2000s. It ran on sci-fi or whatever, probably every night. Yeah, I think it was like 89 the show started. Um, So, you know, I I ran till I want to say 93. So, yeah, it ran through basically through high school for me. Basically, the Quantum Leap was on while I was in high school. I wasn't necessarily watching it live, uh, but I did. I liked the concept. Maybe maybe I did watch a couple shows while it was on. I just didn't keep up with it. So I'm kind of a casual fan, though. Like, I really liked the concept and and what I enjoyed. The problem is now, if I were to go with this show, knowing myself, I have 97 episodes of Quantum Leap I need to watch first. Um, No, I don't think so. This show does a really good job of just bringing you up to speed on the concept. I would say, if anything, watch like one or two episodes of the original to kind of get a refresher on like who the players were, what the concept was. That show was very episodic. Each and every episode you can kind of watch almost out of order. Um, and it doesn't really matter. You kind of get a, a scheme of like who the people are, how the technology works, and like how leaping, how it happens. And then this show brings you way back up to speed. It has literal call-outs like, hey, 30 years ago, this guy did this too. And they literally show a picture of Scott Bakula. And it's like, okay, this is like you're really just directly telling the audience, hey, if you didn't see the other show, here's a quick synopsis of what happened in the 80s. Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't think you need the original show. I would still recommend it because it's great. But yeah, 97 is a commitment. <laughs> 97 I, episodes. I think what you are saying in a general sense is probably very true. But in a specific Aaron Dicer sense, I know for a fact yeah, I know. that <laughs> I have to. I have to. Like, not because I need to, but because Aaron Dicer has to. <laughs> like, that's just how I do content like i'm a completist and i i don't like getting stuff out of order and so i would say there's probably like five or six episodes that are like must watch to really get the biggest payoffs in the new show and i can just give you that list there's like the the big ones are like the season finales and the the season premieres john i appreciate this effort i really do appreciate (laughs) this effort it is it is not falling on deaf ears however I just know myself to too well. I is the original are all the seasons on Peacock uh, for the original because I think NBC excellent owns excellent question. I all of that stuff. Um, because if that's the case, that makes it a little less daunting because I can just throw it on and have it in the background. According uh, to Google, it's available to watch for free on the Roku channel. Oh, why would Roku own that? I don't that's, know. Well, it might be available elsewhere, but it okay. is on Roku, which is free. You can go to Roku.com or the Roku channel.com and you can watch it anywhere on the web. Or if you have a Roku, that even better. And I got a few of those. So <laughs> just laying around. Just got a couple just, of those laying around. Yeah. No, they're great. Um. All right. Let's see. Quantum Leap. Let's see. Other watch options. It's on Peacock. It's on FUBU. Hulu. Okay. It is on Peacock. Yeah. Uh, I hit the little drop down. I forgot there was more. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at the top, the top. The top one is Roku, like, and then underneath that, channels and services you do pay for, you do. Yes, have. I was like, I can't believe Peacock doesn't have all all the seasons. Yes, all five seasons are on uh, Peacock. So, uh, if you have the premium uh, version, I, I, yeah, I, I I would I would just uh, uh, talk about Quantum Leap all day. I don't know that that counts as a buried treasure. It's a very popular sure cult TV show. Um, but I and I think the new show. I don't even know if that really qualifies because it's on network TV. It feels weird signaling out something no, that counts. is on network TV. But I, I hope enough people watch it so it can get a full 
season order because I worry it'll get canceled again before they have a chance to wrap up the story mm. again. Mm. And it's like, oh, the don't, pain. Oh, don't the pain. do that to me. Because that's what happened. <laughs> the first show famously, it just ended in the middle and they just threw up a title card. And it's like, no. I, I, when you uh, head to school or work for the day, fire up Peacock and just like, you know, let it run. Just let run it run. Run up those numbers. Yeah, jump, you know, get those numbers pumped. Tell so, uh, tell Joey Nielsen and the Nielsen ratings that, like, keep <laughs> Quantum right. Leap on the air long enough for uh, some resolution. Uh, but I, I think just episode to episode, it's really fun. You get to watch somebody pretend to be somebody else and, like, find the little problem. One week it's a Western, one week it's a thriller, one week it's yeah. a romance. Um, it's it's just been a lot of fun. All the, the gimmicks and the, the conceit of the original is alive and well in this new one. And, and that concept still works. Good stuff. Uh, that is Quantum Leap. You can watch that on Peacock or on NBC. We Crashed is on Apple TV Plus. And Bring Back the Time, the new song by Kids on the Block, uh, is available on YouTube or other places you might get your music. Uh, well, we did it, John. We managed to do a podcast today. Congratulations uh, to all involved. Uh, you managed to do a podcast today without murdering anybody, which is, which is always good. It's a Black uh, th- Adam reference. I got that. Thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. A uh, huge thanks to a sick Andrew for showing up a little bit today. Uh, thanks today to Phil, producer Phil, for producing the audio and video show. And thanks to John Paula for hanging out with us today. John, where do you want to uh, want people to check you out? Um, besides this podcast, the only place I'm really active with in, in, in the media world would be my letterbox profile. Uh, I'm a few months behind, but I have been reviewing new movies as I see them. So if you want to see my thoughts on anything that's come out in the last few months, including one, I have a bone to pick with you, Aaron, real quickly mm, before we go. Okay. Uh, the movie Fall, the two Terrible. girls on the radio tower. I loved it. One of my You're favorites of the year. It You're was my palms were sweating the whole time. I loved that sensation of being Terrible. just stressed out of my mind. I know you hated it. Yeah, but so it was one of those things. It was one of the few times that you and I have disagreed so strongly. <laughs> yeah, and I was it's like, my, I, "It's my least favorite movie of the year, and it's your one of your favorites." So, I, you know. I would put it in my top five of the year. It was so fun and that so, movie is so dumb, John. <sighs> that movie is so dumb. Once you get it, past like the being on top it. of a high thing, there's nothing yes. to that movie. I loved it. I don't. Anyway, you can read my full review on my letterbox. Um, you know, Aaron Stutz, he did it on the on the show a couple weeks yeah. back. I wish yeah. I had a chance to be on that episode because you and I could have gone ten rounds on that. I don't. Yeah, that's it was right. one of the few times where your rating and my rating was like a full like eight points yeah. from each yeah. other. That's fun though. It, that's fun. It is, and it happens that. so rarely that I, I wanted to just point that out. Nice, nice. Anyway, that review and more on my letterbox. Very cool. Check out John's letterbox. Uh, much love, much love and gratitude to our. Members, our SIFPOP members, for helping us out. You can do that at patreon.com slash SIFPOP. Lots of fun stuff to check out there. Lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to leave a comment, a rating, or a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. You can also email us, feedback at SIFPOP.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so let them know about it and that listening is much easier than figuring out if the DCEU is actually a thing. Uh, we will be back next week. There's a lot going on awards-wise. Netflix is dropping uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, so we may take a look at that. Um, Tar is going a little bit wider and will be playing here locally. Um, that's getting a lot of buzz, so we'll let you know. Um, but yeah, we'll be checking out a couple movies next week, and we'll see you then. 
Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.